A Tale of Two Friends First, Amina. Ever since she was old enough to remember, she wanted to be an actor. She grew up in a beautiful brownstone on a tree-lined street in Brooklyn. She'd gone to some of the best schools in New York. And as a recent college grad, theater degree in hand, Amina confessed to me that she was struggling with this creative block. She worried she was too young, too naive to be a great actor. Every time she sat down to work up some material for an audition, the voices would start up. What do you know about the pain that these characters have experienced? Your life has been easy. You're too normal, too happy, too young, too green to be an actor. And then there's Liliana. Every time she walks by the piano in her house, the instrument itself a remnant of her late husband's career as a music theorist and a composer, she has this urge to sit down and bring music forth from the keyboard with her own hands, even though she didn't know how to play. This was one reason why she had married him so many years ago. She loved the idea of having a house that was always filled with music. And now that he was gone, the dust collecting across the black and white keys under its closed lid, she's been playing around with the idea of taking lessons. But the thing that stops her is this question of time. I can barely read music, she says. I'll probably die before I'm even good enough to crack open any Chopin. It's too late for me. I'm too old to learn piano. This podcast is for Amina and Liliana. For anyone who's got a big boulder of a creative block standing in the way of their aspirations. For those who believe they are too old or too young or too tall or too late or too lost or too lazy to create something meaningful. This show is for anyone looking to debunk that tortured artist stereotype, for those who want to believe that the creative life can bring us deep satisfaction, healing, and even joy. I'm so glad you're here. I'm Meredith Hyde Estevez, and this is Artists for Joy, the podcast. Each week, I will share stories of artists seeking joy. We'll explore how so many travelers along this The Artist's Way have left us breadcrumbs, wisdom and inspiration that can help us stay joyful on the journey. This week on the podcast, I'll explore this conundrum of the creative block, the voices that stop us in our tracks, and another voice I believe can help us move mountains if we're just willing to listen out for it. I'll answer some listener mail, and I'll give you something to consider this week. But first, here's some more music. Tuesday or Wednesday, I have this sinking feeling. This is going to be the week that everyone finally knows the truth about me. This is going to be the episode where everyone sees it. I don't know what I'm doing. I've been pretending like I'm a writer and a podcaster, and I've done okay for a few weeks. I've made a very 
admirable attempt at this thing, but the jig is up. This time, they are not going to fall for it. It was a good run. I got six episodes out of it, lost a lot of sleep. That's it for this episode of Artists for Joy podcast, and I won't be seeing you on Friday. <laughs> I can laugh a little because I have become very familiar with these inner antics of my monkey mind. I've had similar crises of confidence in music and around my oboe playing, which is my main medium, and that little voice reappears pretty regularly, especially when I'm facing a challenge or trying something new. I'm learning how to talk to myself at these moments, and today I decided to let you in on that, in the spirit of this process, and in my experience Talking about that inner dialogue usually helps me lower the volume of its noise in my ear. I came across a quote this week from James Baldwin's book, The Fire Next Time. It goes like this. I imagine one of the reasons people cling to their hate so stubbornly is because they sense... Once hate is gone, they will be forced to deal with pain. That quote sent a lightning bolt through me this week for lots of reasons. Not just because of the way it rings so true in Baldwin's original connotation, that behind the hatred of white supremacy is pain. That knowledge was enough to send me to my knees in and of itself. But... Great quotes like this speak to a multitude of circumstances, don't they? And beyond the moment for which they were written. Per my inner chatter described in the episode, I have felt so creatively blocked lately. Whether it's the news, all the pain that the news is uncovering, or the pandemic anxiety and the general state of chaos in the world, I don't really know. But I'm not feeling so creative these days. And yet I am a weekly podcaster now. And so I've sat down to write day after day after day, and the words aren't coming. Maybe you're there too. And so when I read a few of Baldwin's words, which he penned in 1963, mind you, they shot right through me because they got me thinking about all the things I was clinging to out of avoidance and fear of pain. How it's easier to stay creatively blocked, to not make the poem or the podcast or share the story because of the fear of pain of what doing those things will uncover. There seems to be pain under every rock that needs moving. And so no wonder we cling to these creative blocks. At least that discomfort feels familiar. And this is what art does, doesn't it? <laughs> it moves the rock, exposes us, and all our imperfections. Not just for the world, but to our very own selves makes me have to face the reality of all that I don't know, of how I'm not perfect, 
how I've made mistakes and writing about my struggles with creativity, my own disappointments in my career, my shortcomings, my faults. It's painful. And yet, in spite of all those voices telling me about the pain that lies beneath the rocks, I'm going to sit here and get to work moving them anyway. So we artists prefer to stay stuck in the echo chamber of our own inner voices, telling us we are not good enough. Because some days that seems easier than the alternative. It seems easier than letting go and finding out whether or not those voices are right. Or it seems easier than the fallout that might come with exposing the system, with telling the truth. I don't want to cling to these things that hold me back anymore out of fear of pain or failure. I want to harness the power we have as artists to feel them, to expose them. Maybe you do too. There's this thing in music called the difference tone, or the third voice. I first noticed it during a private lesson with my teacher in undergrad. We were playing a simple oboe duet, and all of a sudden, there appeared in my ear a mysterious third note that neither of us was actually playing. It sounded low and buzzy and sort of faint, but it was definitely there. When we stopped playing, I asked my teacher about it, and he explained. I learned later that it was actually what acoustical engineers call an autoacoustic emission, or in layman's terms, it's not something that was coming from the instruments themselves, but from the sound of a listener's own inner ear. If that duet with my teacher had been recorded, for example, you wouldn't have seen the third voice you were hearing on the waveform audio, even though it would be detectable if you were in the room with us. That's because the computer doesn't have a human inner ear, if that makes sense. The point is, the whole of those two notes we were playing was greater than the sum of its parts. I've been thinking about this phenomenon this week, the third voice the way music quite literally speaks beyond that which we create because of us, or maybe in spite of us. That the act of music making alters the insides of the listeners. And just this thought that there was something existing outside of ourselves when we do this thing, it started to unblock me this week. Gave me great comfort to know that there's something unspoken there in a moment of art making, a third voice that appears in the collaboration or creation with us, involuntary and sympathetic. Our vibrations through the soundscape do make a difference then. They spread and pulsate. They can alter the environment. I think this is why, in so many languages, there are two different words for music. The one word that describes the sheet music we read from, 
and another word entirely for the music that we hear. There is something incalculable, unharnessable, mysterious about the hearing of organized sound. And our ears themselves are changed by the act of creation. They can sing along and vibrate sympathetically. And so this is what gave me the courage to keep trying to find words to share with you this week. The knowledge that the whole is greater than the sum of these parts I'm offering, that when it comes to our attempts to create, when we seek to move the rocks of our creative block, and when we find their pain, we can rest in knowledge that we aren't alone. There are sympathetic vibrations all around us if we can quiet those other voices enough to hear them. And so then, Amina's age or lack of life experiences as she perceives them, while they are the presenting block, it's the thing underneath it, the fear of failure, of disappointing her family, of not living up to all the dreams she had for herself. That's what she needs to process. She clings to these beliefs about herself, these stories that the inner voices tell her, because under them are fears unknown and pain from past insecurities that she'd rather not uncover. And Liliana told me recently, through working in one of our creative recovery groups, that she realized it wasn't really her age that was keeping her from taking the piano lessons. It was the grief she worried she would find there when she opened the instrument lid without her husband by her side. It was just like Baldwin said, we cling to these ideas because we sense that once they're gone, all we'd find there would be pain. But I want to tell them both now, and I tell myself and you, that even if there is pain, even when there is pain, we are not alone. The act of creation puts into motion the third voice. So even monologues or solos, they aren't performed alone. The world is waiting there to sympathetically vibrate. Sending the episode, making the video, telling the stories of our experience, leaning into the pain, just the act of that transmission does not stop with you. It can alter the inner ear of someone else. It can remind us how we are all still connected, that we are not beyond being moved and changed, that our ears and maybe our hearts still know what to do. So let this bring you comfort and courage to move whatever rock that needs moving in your life to blast through any block in spite of the pain that you know lies underneath it, to write the story down, to share the painting, to take the audition, to open the piano lid, to, to look hard when you're ready at your own inner life and get to work moving whatever stands in the way of your expression 
of your healing. With humility and hope, turn your attention to the third voice. Notice the sympathetic vibrations all around you as we acknowledge and remain with each other through any fear we face and any pain we find there. I'll be right back. show every week where I get to read some listener mail. And I wanted to start off today by thanking all of those who sent encouraging words uh, for our artists that were featured last week in our episode entitled The Movement Needs You. Linda wrote in to say that it was pitch perfect and just what she needed at the end of a long week. Thanks for that message, Linda. We also got a question from a listener that reads, I appreciate your amplification of the artists of color in your latest episode. But as a podcast host myself, I'm struggling with the fact that so much of what we're doing right now can come across as performative allyship or a one-off kind of thing. Can you speak to your show's long-term commitment to diversity and how you're planning to continue to use your platform to fight against racism in our country beyond the one episode? All the best, fellow podcaster. Thanks, fellow podcaster, for that question. Uh, It's a really important thing to consider, and it's been on my mind, too, actually. And it it occurred to me today, I'm, I'm just building my platform, so I can't imagine what folks with larger platforms are feeling at this moment, and I'm not sure how, how large a platform you're coming from, but, but yes, this is a question we all need to be asking. How can we all continue to stay engaged and intentional around these issues? And I'd say for me, I believe it's, it's really through relationships, through education, and really through each of our own individual commitments to do that interior work. And I'm excited by that challenge inherent in the James Baldwin quote I used today because It challenges me to stop clinging to any old way of seeing things uh, just because of my fear of discomfort and pain. So I'm really working with with people of color in my life to learn how to be a better ally. And I'm excited about the ways the podcast could add to that conversation for artists in this moment. So, yeah, that's sort of where I am. And I do see this process as a journey not a destination or a one-off tribute. And so blessings on your journey too, fellow podcaster. Uh, And thanks for opening up that dialogue, which uh, with such an important question. Before I leave the listener mail portion of the show, I want to ask you a favor. I'm wondering if you might help me with a little project I'm working on. Uh, Per last week's episode, I absolutely loved interviewing artists And as I created this episode I made today about Creative Block, I'm realizing it goes way deeper than what one episode can cover. So here's where you come in. I'm looking for a few friends 
or total strangers who have experienced this creative block, uh, or even better, people who are experiencing it right now. Any manifestation of creative block that you'd be willing to talk to me about and be willing to share, I would appreciate it. So there's a special form on our website, which is artistsforjoy.org, and it's called Share Your Story. So you can learn more about this project where I'm going to record and chat with some folks who have who are experiencing block. And quick bonus, there's a little something I'm sending out to every person who submits their story and gives me their info and would be willing to talk to me. So check it out at artistsforjoy.org slash share your story. And thank you in advance. Here's something to consider this week. My daughter, Eva Ruth, she's 28 months old, is irrationally afraid of our blender. She's so afraid that she's even learned to flag and listen for words associated with blending, like smoothie or what do you want for breakfast? Even before we walk over to the blender, if she thinks we're going to use it, she goes and hides in the playroom, the room right off the kitchen. It's like a reflex of hers. If the blender is anywhere near being turned on, she will not be in the room. At first I was worried by this, then a little annoyed. Truth time, patience is not my strong suit as a parent. (laughs) But I didn't want her to be scared. We really like smoothies. So this was going to be something that she needed to manage. So in true, overly involved mother fashion, I tried to help her overcome her fear. And no matter what I did, I tried to hold her while I used the blender. I tried to let her turn it on. I tried explaining as best I could in toddler terms why the blender makes so much noise. None of it worked. She still wiggled out of my arms and toddled off alone into her playroom, waiting for me to give her the cue that it was safe to come back. She doesn't even cry anymore. She just runs off to be by herself when there's talk of smoothies. So a few days ago, when we used another even louder machine at home, my eyes shot over to her, waiting for her to run to the playroom. But she was unfazed started to wonder if just the act of hiding from the blender is in and of itself now an important ritual for Eva. She's not actually afraid of it anymore. She's just showing us, (coughs) me, her autonomy, her independence. The thing presenting as fear, well, it's actually our little girl growing up, showing her strength. So, my question for you today is this. What are your fears telling you? Maybe your block is not really about the thing blocking you, but the thing underneath that thing that you don't want to feel. The grief, the pain, the fear of failure, the fallout that might come from creating the thing. 
What if your fear was pointing to what you really value, to all that is emerging in you? What if it was showing you what it is you really want? Maybe, like Eva, this thing presenting as fear is actually a show of strength. It's you reassuring yourself that you are in control of your life, that you're capable of making yourself safe. Maybe it's a past pain or resentment disguised as fear, longing to be acknowledged and released. Maybe it's not about the blender at all. Maybe you'll come out of hiding when you're good and ready, and that's okay. But there is power in following our fears to their source, in listening to what they are telling us, what they can show us about what we value and what we want. That's it for this episode of Artists for Joy. It's written and produced by me, Meredith Height Estevez. This podcast is made possible by the generous support of Grace Church in Wilmington, Delaware, and is a partnership between Lumina Arts Incubator and University of Delaware School of Music. Huge thanks to John Fredenberg for the audio help and to the amazing Angela Sheik for her original music we use as our theme song. This episode also featured music of Schubert, Mozart, Messiaen, and Debussy, with Ariana Falk on cello, Janie Parsons on piano, and yours truly on oboe. The cover art this week came from the wonderful New York City-based photographer Tatiana Dalbeck, and she does amazing artist headshots, so I'll link to her website in the show notes. Don't forget to check out artistsforjoy.org to learn more about how to share your story of Creative Block, and you can pick up your free gift from me once you do. You can also email me at artistsforjoypod at gmail.com. And we have a voicemail box you can call in to and leave us a voicemail. It's 302-415-3407. Lastly, I wanted to thank you all for listening. We reached over 1,000 unique downloads and counting this week. And I just wanted to tell you how much I appreciate your support. And if you can keep doing what you can to help us grow that number by sharing, subscribing, and leaving us a review wherever you listen, we'd really appreciate it. See you next Friday. So the third voice thing, it's kind of hard to hear via audio recording, as I kind of alluded to earlier. But for this week's Sounds of Joy, I have the next best thing. The gentleman who first wrote about the third voice idea was an 18th century Italian composer, theorist, violinist named Giuseppe Tartini. Sometimes, by the way, you hear the third voice phenomenon called a Tartini tone. So this is a little snippet of his most famous work, The Devil's Trill Sonata, played by that photographer I mentioned earlier, who also happens to be a violinist, Tatiana Daubeck, on violin with her friends House of Time, a New York City-based chamber group. Enjoy! Enjoy!